What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head, but mostly role-playing games. And I promise there will be no cowboy sex here today. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this title, dude. It is time for sex, cowboys. Or no, sorry, time for cowboy sex. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about the Wheel of Time and the RPG ability of that property. Uh, We'll talk some more about Cowboy Bebop and the RPG ability of that property. And we'll talk more about uh, sex education and the different type of RPG ability. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk more about sex education, the Netflix show, not the idea of it in general. Though it is a very good idea. Teaching abstinence is stupid. It's been proven to be detrimental. So, yeah. Anyway, folks, let's uh, let's dive into it with some calls. We'll start off uh, talking about some Cowboy Bebop and what type of system we would use to play in the Cowboy Bebop world. So, Geomologist, take it away, dude. Hey, Joe, this is Carl. I'm calling in again because of the Cowboy Bebop thing. So um, I'd love to run a game with that vibe or in that genre, but I don't know if I would use Eclipse Phase or Cyberpunk. Jason wants to use Cyberpunk. I think Eclipse Phase, it, it doesn't quite fit the aesthetic because of the transhumanism and you have like uplifted animals and digital consciousness and AIs, but I think Eclipse Phase would work. And, I th- and when I play- ran Eclipse Phase, if you listen to Jason's 286, I tell about war stories when I ran Eclipse Phase. We had a Cowboy Bebop kind of vibe because they blew things up as they, you know, left every end of the adventure. So I think let's uh, let's do Eclipse Phase one of these days or, um, you know, Cyberpunk in space. Yeah, I've never played Eclipse Phase. It seems like a cool game, but, you know, I... I... I sort of agree. Like, I don't know if it really fits the aesthetic. Uh, I feel like Eclipse Phase is more, like, heavily leaning on the sci-fi aspects and the space aspects. And I don't... That's sort of what I really enjoyed about Cowboy Bebop, is that while it is sci-fi, it doesn't really lean hard into the sci-fi or space. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, I, 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 I don't know about Cyberpunk, the game, either. Um, you know, all I've seen of Cowboy Bebop is just the Netflix show, the live action show. So I haven't seen the anime. So maybe that leans more into the cyberpunk aspects. But yeah, I didn't really get a ton of cyberpunk vibes from from Cowboy Bebop either. Like I I just don't know enough games to say what I think would be a good fit. I feel that there's probably a Powered by the Apocalypse game that would work really well. Because, yeah, I don't know if, like, a a class-based system would be a good fit. Maybe a more skill-based system. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Like I said, I don't know enough games. Because it, it definitely, Cowboy Bebop definitely has an aesthetic, a vibe that it's going for. And so I think you'd want to find a game that fits that. You know, that's kind of how I feel about cyberpunk, the genre, is that, for me, there's an aesthetic and that the game Cyberpunk 2020 fits that aesthetic for the genre really, really well. 
So I don't know. I, I would like to play Eclipse Phase for sure. It sounds like a fun game. I'm not saying I don't want to play it. I'm just thinking of a game that would really fit well with that whole Cowboy Bebop. Like you mentioned in one of the calls to Jason, it's like a Pulp Fiction in Space almost kind of vibe. Like what would be a good fit for that? I don't know. I don't I don't know. But I'd definitely be down to play Eclipse Phase. That would be fun. But you got more to say about uh, games and the shows we've been talking about. You're calling in to talk about the Wheel of Time RPG, which we mentioned on the earlier episode when Jason and I talked, how Watsy in 2001 put out a uh, role-playing game based on 3rd edition set in the Wheel of Time world. And you, Carl, actually have some experience with said game, which is pretty cool. Uh, So let's hear about that, man. Hey, all. I'm sure someone else might call, so hopefully it's not too redundant. So the Wheel of Time role-playing game was made for Wizards of the Coast. It was using the 3.0 engine. Um, It was back in 2001 and then one expansion in 2002. So they had the core rulebook and then the Prophecies of the Dragon. And uh, I feel like a friend of mine who really loved the Wheel of Time... He uh, he ran it for us. I think he ran the first adventure out of the book, if I recall correctly, although I, it's very vague. Or maybe that was a time when I wasn't playing. I don't know. It was one of those times when, you know, you have a girlfriend and they don't like gaming and then you can't play games with your friends. That might have been during that time. But anyway, he really liked it. Um, I think they wanted to play more, but maybe it never materialized. But um, yeah, they're not that hard to find on PDF. It looks like uh, Jordan got the license back after that. So after those two products, the license referred, reverted back to Robert Jordan. Um, it looks like so it would not be supported. But um, the rulebook is pretty big. It's actually all written by by some good some people: um, Charles Ryan, Stephen Long, uh, Christian Moore, Owen Casey Stevens, who did a lot of stuff for D and D. Charles Ryan did Millenniums, and Stephen Long did a lot of stuff for Hero, actually. Um, so. And Daniel K. Sweet did the artwork in it. So um, they really, they really do like a background system instead of uh, instead of um, race, and they give various backgrounds: the Al, the actually the Athan Mir, Borderlanders, Kerhainen, Domani, Ebudari, Ilianer, and then Midlander, uh, Tal Valiner, Tarabonar, and Tehran. Though they give rules for Oiger too, which maybe I think I played an Oiger if I did play. Anyway, they do replace the standard D and D classes too with um, and the um, Algai de Seswai, the Al Spear Carrier Armsman Initiate Noble Wanderer Wilder Woodsman. So you could also multi class, but of course they have um, prestige classes since that's what you had in third edition, and they have prestige classes that you can get to. So Aes Sedai, Ashaman, Blademaster, Commander, Gleeman, Thief Taker, Warder, Athan Mir, Windfinder, Ale Wise One, and Wolf Brother, uh, which would be kind of cool to be a Wolf Brother, honestly. So of course they do feats and skills, etc. So that's kind of the main differences. Um, and they have an introductory adventure, which um, is set during the events of the Eye of the World. And then Prophecy of the Dragon, I thought was interesting too, because it is set during the first six books. And you play... Um, not the main characters, but last one 
I promise Joe. So the what they do is in the Prophecy of the Dragon, they take the heroes on their own story that takes place uh, thousands of miles away from Randall Thor's tale, but um, touches on Rand and the other heroes. So they do appear, apparently. And um, let's see. They give you experience points for not just, you know, for variance, variance awards for clever thinking, etc. And like I said, they seem to span books two through six of the series. So I guess after From the Great Hunt to the Lord of Chaos, um, they talk about it's been so long since I've read them. Um, I know I read the first six. I don't know if I kept going. So uh, maybe I just got tired or I moved on to other things. Um, maybe probably, probably Game of Thrones, which you probably hate. Anyway, so um, Prophecy of the Dragon looks really cool. Uh, you could use Pathfinder since it's 3.0 engine. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> I could see why you might have stopped after the first six. Like I said before, the middle books do get a little, a little samey. So, yeah, you read the first six and then read the last two, and I think you'll be mostly fine. <laughs> mostly but thank you thank you thank you carl that's awesome man there's a ton of really useful information there uh interesting that they make things like Aes Sedai and spear maidens into a prestige class because i i don't know how you would work that in like how you would become a spear maiden unless your whole campaign was set in the aeo waste in your training like Prestige classes, you can't get them till later levels. That's how it works in 3.0 and Pathfinder and stuff. Um, so yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. You know, all of a sudden your fighter, when they get to a certain level, they just become a spear maiden. You'd really have to like work that into the story if you knew that's what the player wanted to do. If you knew they wanted to go to spear maiden, you I don't know. That'd be that'd be really interesting. Because I was wondering about that, how in that game they would start off, you know, with being an Aes Could you is could a first level character be Aes Sedai? And it sounds like no, they can't be. You'd have to work up to that. But in order to work up to that, you'd have to have like a whole adventure set in the White Tower. Yeah, for a while until you know they took all the tests and everything. Interesting take. Uh, I'm curious if the PDF, if it's actually a PDF or if it's just basically pictures of, you know, if it's just scanned pages, if it's just scans. Yeah, man. But that was rad, dude. <laughs> Thank you. That's cool that you have some experience maybe playing it. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Uh, but awesome, man. That that gets that does get me excited to read it because like Jason and I talked about. That world, the world of Wheel of Time, Tamriel, is that it? That might be the name of it, I forget. But that world is such a gameable world. The lore and the factions and the, you know, political intrigue and everything. It's a super, super gameable world. So it's cool that somebody else realized that and put together a game. I'm curious, you know, I, it probably didn't get too much traction you know I'd, I'd never heard of it before uh jason hadn't heard of it and he, that dude knows a bunch about games you you know a guy who owned it and played it 
So yeah, it doesn't sound like it was a huge, huge hit, but I mean, it surprises me. Like the crossover between role players and people that read Wheel of Time, I gotta imagine it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty broad cross section that does both. You know, the Venn diagram for that those groups would sort of be almost like a circle. I feel like, but anyway, man, thank you so much for. Uh, yeah, for all the input into the Wheel of Time RPG put out by Wizards of the Coast way back in the day. That's 20 years old now. It's crazy. <laughs> that's just crazy. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's it for the role-playing section of today's episode. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about Netflix's show Sex Education because I love that show. And uh, I like talking about it. <laughs> I like talking about it. So let's let's start off. We just we just heard a bunch from Carl. So let's let's hear from Jason calling in early, early in the morning the other day, right when he was waking up, had some thoughts to share. So let's let's get into those early morning thoughts. Wait a minute, Joe. You're saying that people with disabilities, people of all classes, even those that aren't like us, are real people too. Wow, mind blown. Actually, I think that's a... It's sad, but I think that's something we need to friggin' remind people of, huh? Guess that's a more of a commentary on our society than anything else, but thank you for giving me permission to not like assholes. This has come across sarcastic, but actually I think I think it's a, is an important point that, that people need to remember that obviously we need to respect each other, and you, sh- and you shouldn't come across mean to other people initially, but you, you know you have to treat people as individuals, and if that individual is an asshole, then well, you got to treat him as such, regardless. So, anyhow, talk to you later. Yeah, man, you yeah, you're right. People are individuals, and you got to treat them as such, dude. Uh, for sure, like. I think, though, part of the reason that the needle has shifted so far to one side where you're not supposed to say anything bad about anyone in any sort of protected group is because for so long, the needle was the other side. So we just got to find that middle, you know, where, yeah, we're not assholes to people just because of who they are, but how they act. Uh, So, yeah, because, you know, I know me personally... (laughs) I've experienced people being assholes to me just because I have a visual disability. Like that's the thing that's happened a lot throughout my life, less now than it used to. So that's, that's nice. (laughs) That's totally nice. But for a long time, yeah, man, when people used to find out about it, they would treat me differently. And that sucks. (laughs) That really sucks. So I, I get it. I get why, Things have shifted so far to one side that you can't say anything bad about anybody who's in a protected group. I, I think it's gone too far, but I, I understand why it's gotten to where it is now. But, you know, again, like you said, we just need to realize that people are individuals and that they should be treated as such, man. Yeah. So awesome, dude. 
but I'm glad talking about sex education has kind of got you thinking about this kind of stuff. It's got me thinking about this kind of stuff because the show touches on all this type of stuff and it's dope. And you haven't checked it out yet. You said you might. Uh, like I said in a message to you, it's not for everyone, but maybe, you know, let's hear some more about the awesomeness, though, that is sex education from Carl Rodriguez. Let, let's let's hear about how dope it is. All right. Take it away, Carl. So, Joe, just hearing you talk about sex education, uh, I know you will definitely then be angry about in during season three. Don't throw anything at the television or computer that you watch it on. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good though. I mean, I think people said that it, it took, um, it went kind of not backwards is the word. Um, it went, it wasn't as good as the, the season two. And of course, season three, people liked it cause it was different. And I love that it continues to be different and it does get different. And there's some scary moments in season three, I think too. So I really, I did enjoy season three. Can't wait till you watch it and hear what you think. And I, I think what's interesting to me is the show, I mean, people go, oh, it's about high school kids having sex. It's not to me. Really, it's ultimately about family and family relationships and talking about these taboo subjects and working through things that, you know, every family goes through and and how you deal with it and how you handle it and how you stay a family. So that's what I think, to me, is the message I've gotten from that show. Um, other people might have different messages or just turn their back on it. Um, but, you know, you and I, Joe, feel the same way those, about those type of people. So there you go. Exactly, Carl. And I sort of touched on that a little bit in a message I just left to Jason earlier today on his show because uh, he mentioned he might try and watch sex education. And I mentioned it's absolutely not for everyone, but different people will take away different stuff from there. Because as you said, like it deals a lot with family issues, with the dynamics between parents and children. And that's cool. You know, I can only relate to that from one angle, right? From the kid to the parent angle. But people with kids, when they watch that show, they'll be able to see different things that I'm not picking up on because they ha- they can relate to the having kids aspect of it. And yeah, as far as the, you know, the kids having sex, it's not a sexy show. It is not erotic or titillating or anything like all the sex scenes are portrayed as (laughs) awkward funny uncomfortable like both physically uncomfortable and emotionally uncomfortable and uncomfortable to watch like it it's it does the show does a fantastic job of sort of de-glorifying sex taking it especially in this modern age, taking sex away from the realm of pornography, which they touch on several times, you know? Um, There's one scene in season one where these two kids are having sex and the girl is saying all sorts of dirty stuff and the guy's like, no, like, (laughs) I don't want, do you really want me to do that to you? And she's like, well, no, but I just thought that's, you know, I thought that's how it was supposed to be. Like it, it, it does a fantastic job, especially from a modern age of really getting down into the nitty gritty 
And it's just a great show. You don't have to be a huge fan of high school to enjoy the show. It's more about people and relationships, like you mentioned, than it is just about high school. Because honestly, some of these kids talk and act way older than high school kids would do. You know, it's it's an exaggerated situation to make it more entertaining and more dramatic and everything. But yeah, I haven't started season three yet because the end of season two made me so happy and then so goddamn mad. Like I said, that the play that the students perform at the end of season two is one of the greatest pieces of theater I've ever seen in my entire life ever. It's brilliant. Whoever wrote that should get all like a Tony award because it's that fucking good. It's amazing. And then the ending of season two made me so goddamn mad. (sighs) And I know season three is just going to keep it up because that's what this show does to me. That's all it does. And that, that's my one, that's my one beef with this show and with a lot of fiction in general It's almost like, you know, the whole will they, won't they thing to me gets sort of old because it's almost like they're saying you can't write interesting stories once they're coupled up. Like if the boy gets the girl, then you can't write interesting stories anymore about them as a couple. And I don't believe for a second that's true. It's this happens a lot in comic books. You know, if you ever have um, general, not always, because obviously like. Reed Richards and Sue Richards, the Fantastic Four people, they've been married for a long time. But other characters, like when they tried to marry Peter Parker to marry Jane, they they had a whole series that retconned all of that and said that never happened. It's like a, a lot of writers just either don't think you can write interesting stories about couples or like haven't experienced being in a relationship where you do cool stuff together i don't know so that's my one beef with the show is you can write cool stories about the boy getting the girl once they actually get the girl and vice versa like have them go on cool adventures and i know it's not an adventure show but lots of dramatic things and interesting shit can happen when you're in a relationship with someone so hopefully Hopefully they'll explore that in a way that is satisfying to me. (laughs) Because, oh, fuck wheelchair, dude. I hate that guy. And so, well, speaking of him, um, yeah, that's what Jason was talking about earlier, you know? Yeah, F that guy, man. But anyway, yeah, that's it, folks. Uh, Not that I need to say it again, but... Sex education on Netflix is not for everyone. There are people who would not like it. People who think it should not be made because of the content that it goes into. I wholeheartedly disagree, but to each their own. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're not opposed to it, check it out. It's, it's, it's a smart show. It does a really good job of dealing with a lot of issues that a lot of families go through. At that age, and obviously not every family is going to go through every issue, you know, but that's why they have a bunch of different characters. So everybody will relate to different stuff in there. There's been a couple scenes that have almost made me freaking cry, man. It's a great show. It is a great show. 
All right, let's get out of here. That's it today, folks. Yeah, we talked some sex education, talked some cowboy bebop, talked some Wheel of Time. I really do want to run a game set in the Wheel of Time, but I wonder if that system put out by Watsi in 2010 is the is the answer I'm looking for. Because I just don't know if the prestige class thing really works the way it should work, right? Because like I said in my response to Carl, it, it's it's hard it'd be hard to explain why all of a sudden your character went from not being an Aes Sedai to being an Aes Sedai. Yeah, you'd have to run a whole adventure. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I would have... I think you'd have to have classes. I think you'd have to treat it more... Instead of going the background, you'd have to go the race, class, species, whatever you want to call it, root. Um, yeah, because you could have someone from the city-state of Tyr who went to the White Tower and is now an Aes Sedai. And Aes Sedai is like a first-level class. Because... You once you graduate from the White Tower, you're not like super duper duper crazy powerful compared to the other Aes Sedai that have been there longer. So it sort of does make sense why you could be a first level Aes Sedai. Yeah, so I think I would go that route instead. Same with like the Spear Maidens. You know, they they've trained for their whole life to be this. I don't see how it would work where all of a sudden you're not a spear maiden and then the next level you are. So I think I would have that as a first level class too, because it's the same thing. You are a spear maiden at first level and you're because you're first level, you're better than the common people, right? At being a spear maiden warrior, but you're not as good as the spear maidens who have been doing it for a lot longer. So yeah, I think that would be the change I would make, but I really want to do it. Because I love that world. And there's a lot of stories left to be told in that world. Yeah, I, I, I do want to pick up those PDFs though and read them. It's interesting. It's interesting that Watsi went down the route of writing modules set in a book world. Because they did that with uh, the, the Dragonlance books. Um, and that... Those aren't really looked at as all that great. So I'm curious to see if they... Though that was TSR. I don't fucking know. It was D&D, goddammit. Um, but yeah, you know, like... I really want to read them because I'm curious. I know you said it takes place during those. And you might run into the characters and you're not telling the exact same story. So they did that part, right? <laughs> you know? But I would love to see what the actual adventure is, like what you're doing. So again, Carl, thanks for that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check out those PDFs if they're accessible and not just scans. I really appreciate that, dude. And Jason, yeah, man, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad I got you thinking, you know, check it out. Check it out. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe not. I think it's great. But as I've said over and over and over again, <laughs> it's, it's not for everybody. But anyway, folks, that's it for today. Uh, yeah. Ooh, I've, no, I'll save that for next episode. I played in a game last night. I played in Curse of the Crimson Thrones last night. 
the time of recording. And tonight, I am playing in my first ever DCC funnel. So next episode, I will talk about that. Because last night's session, there's definitely some stuff to talk about, for sure. And then my thoughts on what it's like to play in a DCC funnel. Who doesn't want to hear that? <laughs> anyway... So stay tuned for that on my next episode. And until then, folks, stay cool, be kind to each other, hug somebody, help somebody out. And yeah, until next time, peace out.